China is front and center on my radar, and I know it's on yours as well. This could be the energy crisis. It could be geopolitical tensions. Today, I want to highlight the first thing is Chinese real estate, because this $62 trillion behemoth is dealing with some big issues. The second thing is the trade woes. This affects China directly, but they are clearly the winner in this particular situation, exporting to the whole world. The third is the supply and demand. We've got big problems going on and also some opportunities for some. I've got all of that and more. Let's begin. This is the first thing I wanted to cover today. In fact, as you watch this video, the information may already be released to the public, but essentially what's happening is that the emperor of China is officially cementing his place in that position. So this could have ramifications, not much of a change necessarily in day-to-day -day operations, but it sends the signal that this guy is going to be here for the foreseeable future. There is a series of events that has been taking place leading up to this moment, and people must be aware. This is related to, of course, what we're seeing with Taiwan, what we've seen with Hong Kong, what we've looked at with the lockdowns and all of the different pressures coming from every single angle. There's a lot to this. I won't be able to get it into, into this video, but understand here what has happened happen and all the key moments in place. I know you've probably been following at least some of it, but know that what we're gearing up for is something major. Take a look here. This is referring to Evergrande, the real estate crisis that is happening today in China. And we must be aware, it's not Evergrande, one company, small problems will be bailed out. This has now spread to other companies, bigger, more sound companies. Investor concerns over China's Evergrande Group debt are shifting to the country's stronger property companies as a sell-off across the industry's dollar bonds hits higher quality borrowers. We are talking about this getting worse. I've been highlighting it for a while. $62 trillion is nothing to, you know, just, you know, roll our eyes at. China's investment-grade dollar notes weakened further on Monday morning, and some Chinese real estate developers' debt fell as investors eyed possible contagion from the property industry. Market participants were also on high alert to the risk of more policy change, as there is this major convention that I spoke about a moment ago. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think you know we kind of have a good idea. Evergrande units. 13% dollar note due in 2022 that had a coupon due on Saturday was indicated was indicated at 22.5 after rising 4.7 cents and so on. Look, you could see that chart right there. Much of the, you know, the debt is going to be due next year. We'll see what happens, okay? This just gets into more of those issues. You've got all of these different companies, okay? Fantasia, Yango, I, I named so many in, in previous ones. But taking a look at all of that just gives you some idea that it's not just one company. We need to highlight that, okay? 
China's bond route shifts from Evergrande to other big developers. Same information here, just a little bit more detail on that if you are interested. I think people should be aware of all of this. Of course, China posts record trade surplus in October as exports surge. Exports jumped 27%. This is after the problems that they are having with their energy crisis, which I will highlight more in a second. This is after dealing with problems, getting uh, you know, the raw materials and so on, dealing with issues with lockdowns, all of this piling up and still exports are surging. Why? Because the demand from the whole world for China is there. Boost in exports supports China's weaker domestic economy. That's right. But the world wants their stuff. And that's just the way it is. That might change but at this time, the world has used China as the manufacturer, and that right there has given them such an edge. That's why, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was a lot of pushback from just a few individuals and nobody wanted to listen. China posted a record monthly trade surplus in October as exports surged despite the global supply chain disruptions. They do give you the data if you are interested in that. It's all here, just looking at the trade surplus. When you have a surplus, it gives you that strength. It gives you the ability to dictate what happens. If you're in debt, if you're in a U.S. trade deficit like we see, not a good thing long term. These are just a few notes right here. All the ways Beijing is fine-tuning its policy. It's allowing small businesses to, in manufacturing to delay tax payments in the fourth quarter. So hurry up, get this stuff out there, make it happen. You could delay your tax payments. That's a great thing. As a government saying that to their businesses, that's going to allow them to get things moving. Ordering banks to accelerate mortgage approvals to keep uh, and to keep uh, the credit property sector stable. This is important, of course, because they're trying to prevent a crisis from unfolding. $62 trillion, you got to do everything you can. Urging local governments to speed up the bond issuance to meet annual borrowing target by the end of November. Boosting short-term cash injections through the daily open market operations. This is something that every country seems to be doing, but China has been uh, really pushing this right now, at least over the last couple months. Allowing electricity prices to rise, intervening in the coal market and moderating the campaign to reduce energy intensity in response to an energy shortage, all of that, which I've covered more recently. And they go on and on, even the PBOC getting involved. The People's Bank of China is one institution of many that are all doing their actions globally to kind of ease the situation, but they've been backed into a corner, as you know. Now, I want to break it all down right here in the Money GPS Insights. Before we do, if you want to support this channel, just hit that thumbs up button. By hitting that thumbs up button right down below, you are going to make sure that these videos end up higher in your search rankings. So I do appreciate that very much. Right now, today, major developments are really happening inside of China. They are gearing up for something big, whether it has anything to do with Hong Kong, maybe it's Taiwan, maybe there's the geo geopolitical tensions that are happening with any other country, including the United States. We know that this is on right now. 
The problems with Evergrande are now spreading out into the broad property sector. It's affecting other companies that are supposedly healthier. This is not a one company situation. It is much bigger. Understand that historically markets always, always, always ignore risk until it's too late. There was a serious supply chain issue and as well as the power crisis compounding together inside of China. And it looks like some of that has been resolved. China's power supply is back to normal, according to the state grid. Who knows what's going on here? I mean, you guys are walking on the power lines. That is unbelievable. I just realized that. And you're looking at the state grid corporation on China on Sunday saying that the supply and demand of power in the areas operated by the company have returned to normal. And number one, this one here, thermal coal inventory in the company's operating area rebounded. Days of consumption has risen to available days of consumption has risen to 20. So they are doing this. Now, if you look year over year, I just had this stat right in front of me looking at year over year data. It is considerable to see that it has doubled from a year ago. The amount of coal that they're being that's being imported right now into China. You know, there's, there's a serious demand when they're willing to do this, especially at a time when they have issues with Australia not wanting to import it and so on. Okay, now I want to switch gears. We were looking at real estate here, but that extends further out. Let's look into the United States and also another country. So hang in there right here. You could see this US data month over month growth in national rent. And you could see that it has fallen. Not the rents have fallen, but the growth has fallen. It is you know, unbelievable that in the summertime, the, the rate at which it was growing, the inflation was clearly present in rates uh, and rents. But looking at it, it's still extremely high. The growth is still there. And what has happened here over this time, seasonally showing us that it's in line with expectations. Because as we get towards the end of the year, as we get towards the winter time, you know, the real estate market does generally cool off. And then in the springtime, it picks up again. We'll see what happens here. I just want to show this to you to give you an idea of what's going on with real estate you know, on, on the whole. You could look at this, breaking down uh, different cities and so on. But that's generally the way I see it. And as they mentioned here, the rebounds are leveling, leveling off in the hard-hit market. Some are doing better than others, but certainly both rents and the prices of homes to purchase have skyrocketed. One of those places that the prices have gone out of control and always were out of control is San Francisco. But we have the disparity more present there than in most places, most other places. Just looking at it, San Francisco luxury condos overlooks the city's worst squalor. Quote, I don't want to be afraid to live here. And this disparity, of course, is created by central bank intervention, and it's ever-present, but San Francisco happens to be one of those places. If you see disparity where you live, you see the big, tall high-rises, and they are filled with people driving around their Maseratis and their Ferraris, and then there's 10 homeless people outside the building. 
If you see this where you are, let me know. Put it down in the comment section below. Because for the most people, that is the case. That disparity, that wealth gap, that inequality is ever-present today, it seems. My friends in New Zealand, check this out, one of the world's hottest real estate markets tries to cool down. New Zealand is pulling every lever to tame property prices without shaking its economy and crashing the market. What they're saying is they're not going to increase interest rates too much, but they want to do everything they can. So they get into a lot of the different things that they're doing. I, I read through it. Uh, let me just read you some of the stats, okay? Home prices have risen more than 30% in the past year. That is ridiculous, uh, but it's not the only country to see that kind of growth. The country's home price to income ratio, a measure of affordability, is the highest compared with a long run average among 30 key economies analyzed by capital e uh, economics. For each economy, the firm created an index sitting at 100, the long term average of the ratio of home prices to incomes. Okay, so 100 being normal. New Zealand's score on the index was 178, or well above its long-term average. By comparison, the US was 93. So think about that. US, crazy prices, they've gone crazy. They have 93. In New Zealand, it's 178. Okay, so you know what's going on here. You know it's hot, it's beyond hot. They talk about the little things that they're doing, restricting this, putting this law in. It doesn't do much. The biggest thing that they've been, you know, a little bit shy on, but certainly have moved in the right direction is increasing their benchmark rate. So the equivalent of the Fed funds rate, their main interest rate, increasing that to 0.5%. It was at 0.25% previously, increasing that. And then we will see what happens down the road. So while they are restricting in one thing or another, they don't want to increase interest rates too much because they're worried about the slowdown. That's right. Okay. And I, I think this will, in fact, have to happen because of inflation, but that's a whole different story. Now, this article out of Bloomberg gets into Nutella. You might love Nutella. And this article talks all about it in its relation to the supply chain. Now, the only reason that I mention this and showing this here is simply to understand how vulnerable a company can be to supply chain problems. Because as they say right here, um, essentially globalization. We're getting ingredients for this Nutella from Africa, the Middle East, Asia. They have to package it all in one place and then send that all over the world. And that works as long as the supply chain, as long as the logistics are in place and running smoothly. But if they don't, you end up with shortages. And if people don't get their Nutella, my goodness, they're going to be pretty upset. At least that's what I've been hearing. And then we have this to finish off the video. Check this out. Elon Musk went onto Twitter and said, all right, I will sell 10% of my Tesla shares if you say yes Yes or no, they voted yes. So that's it. 10% of his Tesla stake, that's about $21 billion worth. Now, who knows when he's going to sell it, how he's going to do that. It's not going to be overnight, obviously. This is interesting. The question I pose to you is, although it's quite small, does this create um, an incentive for other CEOs, other 
big businessmen to start selling off their stakes right now at the peak of the market? That's the question I have for you. Let me know in the comment section down below if you just want to support this video very easily. You just got to hit that thumbs up button. I do appreciate it. It's 2.15 in the morning. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm losing my voice apparently. Live stream an hour and a half. Now this video. Support the channel. Hit that thumbs up button. If you haven't seen this video yet, you definitely want to check it out. Click it and I'll see you there.